Good morning and welcome to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. I am your editor and host for today, Bryce Fritzel, and we have our very special guest back today. Jason Patton. Thanks for coming back, and it was good having you on a Monday mini-episode, which is available on Patreon. And today's episode, we're just going to dive further into his background and experience as a first responder and firefighter, maybe have some cool stories. So pour yourself some fire department coffee, and let's dive in. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're joined again by Jason from Fire Department Coffee. And if you listen to our Monday mini episode, you know that uh, we got a little bit more background story on why they are one of our sponsors and um, why it makes so much sense for them to to be one of those sponsors. And so um, today, I think we're going to dive a little bit more into your personal backstory and experiences, because I think I think you could provide a pretty fresh experience and a fresh outlook on crimes and just the things that you come across as a first responder and that's sort of inherent in that name of first responder you're pretty much the first people to see what has happened whether it's a crime an arson case murder um, or just a really bad accident or you know just a place that has burned down whatever it might be if you want to first start out with you know how you first got into being a firefighter or first responder what those first steps looked like and we'll go on from there Absolutely. Uh, no, thank you so much for having me on, Bryce. I appreciate it, man. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I was a mechanic, actually, uh, from the, literally the day I turned 18 years old. I started being a mechanic because uh, my father was a mechanic, and I uh, realized I was a terrible mechanic, like one of the worst. <laughs> uh, uh, so a uh, buddy of mine talked about EMT school, and I, he's like, you got to check it out. So I went to EMT school, and I fell in love. That it was amazing. Just the, the human anatomy, the body, how the body works, collateral blood flows, like just everything about it was just so super fa- fascinating to me. So uh, I went to EMT school and then medic school right after that, and then went directly into fire school. And man, it, it just uh, fell in love with, with everything that came with firefighting. And uh, I've been doing it now for uh, June 18th. It'll be 14 years. Wow, that's mm-hmm. uh, it's a long time. I'm sure in yes. that amount of time, you've had some pretty interesting stories happen. And we can, as we get further along in, I guess, your timeline, however we, we mm-hmm. want to do this, uh, we can start to get back into how that naturally led you into doing what you do now, which is a blend of you know being a firefighter, but also working for Fire Department Coffee and doing your short skits and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so what, what did that look like for you as far as maybe your expectations of getting into being a firefighter or a first responder or basically any of the jobs in that field? Your expectations maybe as someone from the outside versus actually being in it. What were those really big things for you that's like, that's not what I expected? <laughs> You know, I, I think it's it's uh, like the TV shows that I make fun of. You know, you, you think mm-hmm. that it's just going to be like this. Like you show up day one and it is just chaos and just yeah. people throwing their babies at you and like, please <laughs> save my child. You know what I mean? That does happen sometimes, you know. Um, but you, I think you have this this overwhelming expectation of all emergencies all the time. It is life and death at all times. And depending mm-hmm. on the shift, it can definitely be that. The one thing that I realized very quickly was... Uh, there's this unknown thing out there, this wave of calls, this wave of chaos, I guess, where you will go a month without running. You'll, you'll run emergency calls because, you know, we run all the time, but you mm-hmm. won't run like the holy crap what is happening. And then when it does happen, it is like uh, it's like 10 of them in a row. It's just so like absolute. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nonstop. And I mean, my first call was a or my first major call 
was a uh, lady who got who was driving. She got T-boned by another vehicle uh, going on a like a, a major thoroughway. And um, when we got there, the, our doc, a doctor happened to be on scene. He was giving her morphine. Uh, both of her femur and her pelvis were broken. Um, you know, it was a really, really bad call. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. she ended up passing away because of the injuries. But, you know, it was, it was insane to see how quickly, and I think that's what I've realized most in firefighting, is that you go from your life is fine, everything is great, to yeah. it is no longer okay anymore. So just like that. Yeah, which I'm assuming happens most often with things like car accidents because mm-hmm. two cars 60 miles an hour in opposite directions that's that's a lot going mm-hmm. on there. Um but so do you, do you so do you find that most of your calls are things that are are more how would you word it just to be more safe than than sorry kind of thing of like cuz like I can think of times where maybe you know I think I can think of a child a childhood story where my mom called firefighters because they she thought gas was leaking in her home and it turns out it was just the smell of something from the microwave she didn't realize was burning like just just really <laughs> random stuff like that and of course the fire trucks show up and they come in there and do her they're detecting stuff with their uh yeah. you know their devices and stuff and you know most of the time but we also lived in a small town so do you find that most of your your calls are that kind of stuff or do you, do you feel like there is a good mix of you know the stuff that's actually like you feel like you're using all of your skills and experience to help people? yeah i promise you it is a uh it is is a kaleidoscope of of calls yeah. i mean is that it it runs the the uh the span of of, of uh like anything you can think of because you're right you'll have so you will have calls where and i've always said it seems to be a lot of times 911 calls are split into two areas one, you should have called nine one one. Why didn't you call nine one one? And like, why did you you actually called nine one one for this? Uh, because you know, there multiple times we'll show up at people's houses and they're like, "Yeah, my toe hurts." Okay, like, "Yeah, I hit my toe. It hurts. Take me to the hospital." Like, all right, it's like three thousand okay. dollars. But yeah, we'll take you to the hospital. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's always a variety of stuff, and, and that's and that's what I meant earlier was you know you will go from zero to a hundred like that, and, and it's mm-hmm. and it's crazy to see how quickly um, how quickly a day can go from nothing going on to what did I just see? I need two years of therapy for that. So, good lord, yeah, and that's I think that's what's unique about your perspective as a first responder is that when Abby and Eric and I do episodes on here it's a lot of the aftermath in fact it's almost Mm. exclusively the aftermath of what are the autopsy show and you know what are the suspects that we're going to be looking at and things like that so to be able to get that perspective on the front end of all of that might might be unique so um, I guess um, are there any are there any cases or stories that you can think of where it was definitely something that was crime related where um, you got to maybe experience a lot of that detail of it. And, you know, being a firefighter, I can immediately think of arson cases or because I'm sure there's times where you show up and you're like, somebody clearly did this on purpose, whether it was the homeowner or someone else. Yeah. And and us us being us in Florida running uh, both EMS and medical, I'm sorry, EMS and fire. uh, Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, EMS stands for emergency medical services. So um, but so for us running both of those, yeah, we come across it all the time. Uh, You know, obviously, Obviously, fires, every fire we go on when it has X amount of damage or if there's any injuries, you know, 99% of the time fire investigators are showing up. They want to check out what's going on, see, and those guys are incredible. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, 
to, to see somebody walk into a place that is charred from head to toe and then walk over and go, yeah, that's where that's where the origin was. Uh, you know, it was obviously an accelerant because of this, this, and this. You see the that's, char marks and the, the alligator mark. Yeah, that that because it came from this. Like, uh, uh, that's yeah, so sure. crazy. What, I just sprayed it with water, man. Like that's what my job was. So, uh, but you know, so from the medical side, the one I've I've probably been on. 40 shootings, 40 to 50 shootings, multiple mm-hmm. stabbings, you know, uh, burn victims and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, like I've ha- I've been on fires where uh, major companies were getting involved in lawsuits because of things that uh, things that were recalled and and literally set yeah. people on fire. Uh, but the biggest one that the one that I was I, I ended up in court because of it because I had to testify against what happened was. Uh, and this is many many years ago, but we had a, a girl who was uh, waiting across the street. She's just waiting across the street and uh, somebody stole a car and they lost control of the vehicle because they were running from the cops and uh, went across the vehicle and hit her. And when we got on scene, he had fled the scene. And Mm -hmm. when we got there, it was literally her cut in half. It was one half here, one half there. Um, So, and I I tell you, the, the, the... the the biggest things that I've learned in in this job is that, and you guys really get to see, you get you get the the aftermath of finding out what is most painful for people. It's not death. Death is death comes and goes. It's a part of life. It's human suffering is the hardest thing because when you yeah. guys are investigating your stories, you're hearing about the kids there or the the wives or the spouses that had to go through all this stuff, all this pain, mm-hmm. go to the trial, and you know either not get it solved or whatever. So for us. That's the hardest thing for us to deal with is human suffering. So it was yeah. difficult to look at this person. And your brain is an incredible thing, man. You guys talk about it a lot, and it's, it, it is amazing. But seeing this woman cut in half, my brain could not understand what I was looking at. Like, yeah, I I've, I've always <laughs> been curious about the psychological effects of seeing extreme trauma of people. Because I, f- I feel like it's, it's one of those things where it's so gruesome and awful that your brain feels like it has to protect you from that because you shouldn't be seeing that. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's, and, and, and there's multiple studies with PTSD and, and you know, long-term effects of stuff like that. But uh, yeah, 100%, because I, I remember, and I always, I've always thought of it the same way, like I looked at her body and I remember thinking, like the left side of my brain was like, that's a person, she's dead. And you know, half is here, half is there. And the other side of my brain was like, nah, that's a doll. Someone's messing with you, bro. There's no way that, that that's actually happening right now. And, and for oh, me, yeah, and for me, that was the third dead person I saw that day. I had a, I had a, a cardiac arrest, a young, a young girl, cardiac arrest in her 30s. And then I had a woman that um, she had uh, suffered from cancer uh, and died. You could tell it was a, it was a lonely death. Um, and then this person, and it was one of those like, not a not a good day, man. So no. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm re- I'm really wondering what is is the main what the main reasoning for that of of why that happens to your brain because I feel like maybe all of us kind of have our own internal expectations of what a person does when they're not together, right? Whether mm-hmm. it be from violent movies or video games or whatever it might be. So, do you think that there was this massive disconnect between what you expect a person cut and have to look like? to what they're actually look like because maybe some people expect blood to just be everywhere in huge puddles but maybe because sometimes if you like lose a finger or a limb or you know you get cut in certain places it doesn't really bleed all that much so like there's definitely surprises there so what do you do you feel like that that's portrayed a lot differently than it should be 
Oh, absolutely. And uh, but I mean, you, you got to have um, for movies and stuff like that. I get it. Like if, yeah. you, if you want a movie to be interesting, then you're gonna have to do that kind of stuff. You would be surprised, man. Like uh, most gunshot wounds don't bleed unless they mm -hmm. hit a major, major artery. Yeah, uh, they don't. They don't bleed. They're they're right. going so fast that they normally cauterize the wound, and and then um, what causes a lot of damage. The two big things: if it's a high caliber bullet, then it's cavit mm -hmm. something called cavitation. Um, yeah. you've actually you've do got documented that I've seen uh, that kind of stuff um, and then uh, low caliber bullets like a 22 it enters the body and doesn't have enough velocity to exit it the body stays there so it stays there bounces around has some fun for a little bit um, and uh, that's where we see a lot of deaths and stuff but um, yeah you'd be surprised man amputations don't tend to bleed so the, the body understands just like the brain I would imagine the body understands I gotta survive so it'll retract the uh, the arteries slightly or attempt to attempt to clamp them off if possible in the process and stop so them from, from bleeding off yeah yeah and I, I think just from you and I talking a few other times like there's there's a lot of like I didn't under I didn't know that the heart operates on its own volition. It doesn't yeah. need input from the brain to do most of what it does or all of what it does. And so yeah. I thought that was interesting. And I've I've had a lot of because I I've had a heart condition from birth. And despite the fact that I've been to a lot of cardiologists and gotten a lot of EKGs and echocardiograms and things like that, I thought a lot of new I thought I knew a lot about my heart. But I didn't know that, and I feel like that's that's pretty cool. So I feel like you get to learn a lot as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's called automaticity. Your your heart literally has its own ability to uh, to create its it can create its own electricity. It, it's mm -hmm. able to um, and each section of your heart. There's three yeah. different or four different sections of your heart that can that can truly create its own electricity as its own intrinsic rates is what they're called. Um, so uh, it's it's insane, man. It's it's really really cool. And that's what I meant when I went into EMT school, learning about these things. I was like, that is unbelievable that the, that your body can do that because you you i feel like people spend most of their lives thinking that the brain is the control center and controls everything and tells everything what to do and to an extent that's still mostly true but the fact that your your blood vessels just know to stop pumping blood or to contract mm -hmm. if if your limb is gone and they just mm -hmm. it just inherently knows to do that and your mm -hmm. heart knows how to change blood flow and how hard to pump and what pressure to keep your body regulated with no input from your brain. Yeah. Well, I mean, so those intrinsic rates, those intrinsic rates are just based off of them. So they won't uh, raise or lower on their own. So okay. that that's kind of like, uh, oh, so, I see you, like yeah, a with regards to the, yeah, it's just a baseline. Like, hey, gotcha. the SA node, like I pump 60 to 100 beats per minute. But, mm -hmm. you know, the brain, the medulla oblongata, you know, that that's uh, is going to be uh, reading out your CO2, your CO2 levels in your body. If you have an increase, if you have an increased level of CO2 in your body, that it's going to tell the, the heart that it needs to pump a little bit faster to move more oxygen. It's going to tell you you need to breathe a little bit faster, a little bit yeah. deeper uh so on and so forth so yeah that that and that's but what's insane dude is how the body can switch so if you have something called copd so whether that's from a, a lung condition uh, a lot of times it can be caused by uh, excessive smoking or something like that if you have an excessive buildup of co2 in your body your body will eventually say co2 is constantly high there's got to be something wrong here like we can't we can't there's got to be something wrong so it'll switch to something called a hypoxic drive so it'll start mm. reading oxygen levels 
which is great, right? It's going to stop you from not breathing. The problem is if you have an emergency, as yeah. firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics, we're told they have an hypoxic drive. If they have COPD and we give them too much oxygen, the brain reads that as too much oxygen and it'll shut down the respiratory drive and you can kill them. So, like, it's... <laughs> Interesting. So how do, you, how do you as EMTs know if, we, um, if they have that? There's certain signs and symptoms of COPD, okay. and 99% of the time you say, do you have COPD? They're going to say, yes, I do have COPD, and you go from there, and then, you know, it's, I have seen the hypoxic drive kick in before, or uh, I've seen them people stop because of high, high levels of, uh, or us giving them high amounts of oxygen, but yeah. um, for the most part, as long as you monitor them, they're, they're going to be fine, so. That's crazy. So, is it, is it like a, it's just like one day, you're the body just switches over and never goes back. It's just this instant switch, and it's like that's what we're doing from now on? Or does it go back and forth depending on what is going on? I mean, that's a great question for a doctor that knows more about yeah. that stuff than I do. <laughs> but, uh, that seems no, so bizarre. I, no, I would imagine this is like anything else. I mean, if people who have severe COPD or just, you know, again, um, you know, it doesn't have to be because of smoking. It can be, you know, respiratory or, or metabolic issues and stuff like that. But, you know, you can see people, uh, the, their fingernails will start to club. Mm. The, the, so they'll actually, um, the fingertips will become a lot thicker and they'll club down. It's because of lack of peripheral blood flow. Um, you'll see what, so what's called barrel chesting. People have emphysema and stuff like that. Then that's because they're using their auxiliary muscles around to constantly try to get in as much oxygen as possible. Um, so the, the physiological changes in the body to literally survive are unbelievable it That's is crazy. just the coolest stuff you'll ever see yeah, yeah so it kind of depends on what mindset you have because in some ways you can think of the human body as so entirely fragile and then mm. in other ways it's like it's the most resilient thing around in some in some ways so it's kind of depends on the way you look at it a hundred dude i'm telling you uh stem cells are the, i mean just anytime i'm like yeah you know how cool is the human body really just think about how a fetus develops. I mean, yeah. the the body knows, like, okay, time to make lungs, and start. And that those stem cells are now those are lung cells. Those are yeah. now creating that. And then it's like, all right, lungs are full. Uh, let's go ahead. Let, let's go ahead and make a left leg. And like, I'm sure the legs are made first, but right. uh, you know. Like, but it, I mean, that's, it all, it's and it all starts from that first cell split from the same cell, and they just yeah. they decide internally what to do next and which sections and at what rate to just perfectly make another yeah. person with intelligence that can birth another person in the future. It's just... Dude, <laughs> it's absolutely insane. And to think that that has to be perfect. There can't be yeah. one one iota off and, mm -hmm. you know, and now you can't move your tongue. Like, just yeah. unbelievable, man. Hard, hard to really wrap your, wrap your brain around that, which, like, gives you a whole new respect for anybody in the medical field that, like, actually understands this stuff and can, oh like, God, yeah. or, like, operate on brains... Like how yes. bizarre is that? Yes, and then to understand that, yeah. I don't think we. I still don't think we have a, a grasp of what the hell's Probably going not. on here, buddy. No, <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, so de I mean, yeah, so definitely, definitely a tangent off of crime there. But, uh, that's, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that, that's that's all interesting stuff. I love that. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. So do you do you have any other you know maybe personal stories um, in the field that you think might be interesting? Maybe doesn't necessarily have to be crime related, but just something that is like that was unique. I feel like. Only EMTs or someone could, you know, maybe experience that? Well, it's funny because uh, with with all of this stuff, especially with the people that you're normally dealing with that are dealing with crimes, that are dealing with dead bodies, that are having to go yeah. in there. I had a buddy uh, who now does a bunch of mental health stuff, but his his job was to fly 
to like plane crash sites and get the body parts together that were left and bag them up and bring them back. And you talked to this guy and you were like, dude, how much therapy did you have to go to? Because yeah. I don't care what anyone says, man. That is not normal stuff. What's, what's, but you want to talk about like adaptation and overcoming and like people being slightly different. Go talk to someone who mm-hmm. does autopsies. That is uh-huh. an interesting people. They're like, after, they get used to it. They're like eating pizza, cutting someone's brain open. I'm like, yeah, yeah like you're- I've seen that in like shows and stuff before. I'm like, is it true? A hundred percent true. And you meet them and they're just like, hey, yeah, no, nah, this is cool. Man. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, no, so if you see this, is his heart like pulls it out and holds it in his hand. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so like this is That's it's bizarre. Yeah, it's crazy. Cool. But now I, uh, like um, one of my introductions to uh, humor in, in chaos was a uh, we get called for a guy that's impaled. So this guy's impaled. He fell and uh, he has a, a giant rod sticking out of his back. So um, we pull up on scene. This guy is on all fours. He's on all fours, and he has a, like, three-foot iron pole sticking out of his back. And he's, uh, and there's a cop holding it, looking at us. This cop, is, <laughs> this cop is not okay with what he's doing right now. And he's like, he says, he says it makes him feel better. And we're like, okay, give us a pole. You're going to pass out. <laughs> But the funny part is, man, the thing I forgot about, we we actually, we like cut the pole, put him on his side, got him to the hospital. They pulled it out. It wasn't a big deal. Um, But uh, the funniest part is, man, is I didn't realize this. I forgot about this part was the the medic that I was with knew the guy. And yeah, and he like leads out. He's like, Jim, dude, how have you been? He's like, I have a pole in my back. Can we talk later? Jim, (laughs) let's catch up for a second. (laughs) So... Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy, man. It's absolutely crazy. Dude. So yeah. yeah, and that that also kind of shows the breakdown between different types of first responders too, because like police officer probably isn't nearly as used to. I mean, I'm sure they see stuff, but not actually mm. manually dealing with the stuff. So that's probably something you get to deal with all the time, showing up on scenes like that. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Yeah, and it's, well, it's just crazy in general that the, our, our job differences, you know, as firefighters and paramedics, we get a, a mix of both of those, those, both those worlds that normally mesh together but aren't the same people. And mm-hmm. then cops, you know. Like that's just that, that's not my thing, man. I, I don't think I could yeah. ever do that if I. But and I massive respect for what they have to do. Yeah, I mean it's it's all definitely worthy of a, a lot of respect in mm. all the different ways because that's mm. I mean that's between the three of those jobs, it's that's pretty much what keeps the fabric of community together. Because without mm. it, people will die a lot more, and crimes will yeah. be a lot higher, and buildings will burn down a lot more quickly. So it's <laughs> it, it's 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 pretty darn necessary for. Um, for society um yeah so i guess um as we're you know we've moved a little bit along your timeline so at some point you because you think of firefighting and those types of jobs as very serious and um 
and at some point you transitioned into what you do now, which mm. you still obviously have your very serious job, but you're also now working with Fire Department Coffee, and you have all sorts of different funny short skits and videos and commercials that you and I work on together um, that come out. And so at what point did that transition happen? And how did you know that that's like, that's where your heart is and that makes the most sense for you? Yeah, I uh, I started making some videos at work. We uh, started something called National Geographic's Fire Department Edition. We were messing around, having a good time, hunting for the battalion chief and firefighters and stuff. And we, you know, we had, we had, we had a great time, man. It, it was really, really cool. And uh, probably about six months into that is where I met Luke. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, I found, I love being a firefighter. I love being a paramedic. And I also love making videos. It mm -hmm. is, there is just, and, and you and I definitely uh, vibe pretty well on this. There is just something about taking an idea in your brain, putting it on paper, and then creating a video, especially when it resonates with so many people and they find it funny and it's so yeah. relatable because that, that's what comedy is, man. Comedy is just how well do you, do you relate to that particular subject? So, um, man, it was just so just such a cool experience to be able to do that. And, and you know, being a firefighter paramedic is hard, but being a content creator, I think it's 10 times harder sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, because yeah. dude, coming up with stuff that actually makes sense and you and I, I mean, you and I, yeah. I think fa my favorite video with you to date is the fart video, um, <laughs> just because of your reaction. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, everybody go look up uh, Fire Department Coffee. <laughs> is it on Chronicles or Coffee? Which one is that on? That's, that's a coffee video, yeah, gotcha. how firefighters yeah. communicate, yeah. Yep. Um, but actually even uh, how Murph, uh, Murphy's, our Murphy's Law video, which was mm -hmm. wildly successful. Um, yeah, and I think, and I think, I think as you do this longer, you start to figure out what that formula is for comedy, which is the yeah. hardest thing to do, I think. Um, and I feel like what you start to realize is that it's it's all about timing and uh, yeah. uh, and expectations, like not matching expectations. I think mm -hmm. um, is kind of a weird way to word that, but like I think Murphy's Law hits that really well because um, yeah. there's so many there's so many twists and random things that are just like why did that just happen? Yeah, uh, but also <laughs> things that are relatable and just funny in general. Um, and then the same yeah. thing for the fart video. It's like that stuff that vibes really well with other people that yeah. are firefighters, but it's also just funny to the public. So yeah. I think that's where a lot of the success comes from your guys' videos. So um, I guess just a little sales pitch for you guys. If you if any of the audience listening likes that kind of content or mm -hmm. you know just wants to check out their work, Fire Department Coffee, Fire Department Chronicles, they both have really yeah. funny videos. Um, and I'd say that's that's the main that's the main thing that you guys do is is the humor matched with the coffee matched with the branding of like we want to help people too and that's yeah. a nice way to wrap that up i think every video i've made with you guys has been funny yeah i, think. I appreciate it no i think so too no we, yeah. we've definitely it's it's fun man look i think that's the the point of um creating videos is to bring people together and, and have a good time we can have a good laugh you know mm -hmm. the number one thing i hear is we all we all pop it on on the tv man we watch it together bro and i and i love that yeah. i think it's just I think it's, I, that's a cool thing and I think it's one of the, it's it's the exact same thing for being a firefighter or a first responder or EMT. All of it is people in the general public on the outside don't quite get what it's like on the inside. And it's the same for creating content because mm -hmm. I mean you you and I probably had three or four different meetings as pre production for this last shoot we did in Illinois at IFSI. Yeah. And um, that's just, you know, going over storyboards and going over ideas and changing stuff and making sure props are gonna be around and all sorts of planning 
making sure yeah. people are flying in or driving in, making sure people have places to stay. And then when we get there, there's, you know, 12 to 15 hour days sometimes of just nonstop shooting and jumping yep. around between different scenes, not doing stuff in order, trying to mentally keep that in track while you're both directing mm-hmm. and acting and other people are <laughs> filling eight different roles at the same time and it all just keeps going and going and going. You're exhausted at the end of the day. Sometimes you don't eat as much as you should. And then you spend yeah. countless hours in post-production just to release a video that somebody will laugh at and then move on, right? So it's like it's it's a total yeah. it's 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 a total crazy imbalance of effort put into something for yeah. just hoping somebody will laugh once. And I think Dude, that's I, what a lot of people don't realize. And I've said, especially after that three day thing, I have more respect for people that that put millions of dollars and years of time into movies, man, mm-hmm. and they put it out and it bombs, and you're yeah. like, shit, yeah, like that's I, not I think, okay. And with with the film industry being most of my life now, it's hard to it's hard for me to remember what I was like before that. But I would totally accept if like I, I would admit that at at some point I was probably like anybody else where you pay 10, 15 bucks or whatever, go see a movie, sit there a couple hours, walk out and be like, that was pretty good or that could have been better. Yeah, and there's but the, if you sit and watch those credits, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people over months if not years that are slaving away doing their best like like yeah. budget moving around here and there losing budget people being fired people being rehired reshoots all this stuff that just goes on while you're at home comfortable and yeah. then you go watch it just to be like eh, that was cool i guess <laughs> it's funny you said that bro because i just saw spider-man yeah i and did too yesterday yeah and i was look we because we were of course waiting for the post credits but i'm watching this dude there was Five different graphics companies, mm-hmm. and each one of those had, you know, 50 different 2D people, 50 different 3D people, and I'm like, yeah. this, just screw the filming, screw the <laughs> actors, screw everything. The logistics behind that, bro. And yeah. I, I I gained so much respect because, you know, I mean, you yep. and I work together so much, but, but like the logistics of putting together something and every single time we get together and do a shoot, it's always the same thing like, God, where's the milk? Like, who did it get the milk, man? Like, it's always one thing that yep. we forget. And we're like, ah. So, so like, so like, take it. take that exact feeling that you're having for one movie and extrapolate it to like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, oh, which has been yeah. going on for over a decade now, and has, in a lot of ways, been planned out in this grand scheme that nobody knew was happening until yeah. it has happened. And it's like the same like three to five people ish that have been those masterminds this whole time, and to to just control all of that and creatively understand all of it and then have thousands of people execute it for you. It's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know how we got on this topic, but I feel like it applies to, (laughs) I feel like it applies to a lot of jobs out there. Like, like I mentioned with, with like firefighting, it's like, you don't, you just don't understand what actually goes on behind those scenes unless you've been in it. No, and I think that's for every job out there, man. And I say, you know, firefighting, dude, we couldn't do it without prevention. We couldn't do it without the people that are creating sprinkler systems that are saving lives, you know. Mm -hmm. Then you hear about, like, Halon systems that came out that were really great, and then they were, or like, they not really good for people because it takes all the oxygen (laughs) out of the air, so they had to get rid of some of those, outlaw the Halon, so. Yeah, which I've I've actually been able to see some of that side of it because my, my dad has been certified to work on fire alarm panels and access denial systems for for buildings for a long time now and so i've actually gone to some classes with him i've done to do maintenance on fire panels and stuff and it's it's so extensive and there's so many codes you have to follow just to make sure that 
you're going to be okay sitting in your office if there's a yeah. fire that happens. And there's 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 so many inspections and things that you have to update and keep track of, and it, it it's it's all nuts. So there's so much that goes on in society just to make sure you're comfortable and can live your life. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, like us having this <laughs> us having this Zoom call right now, like us just sending information at each other so we can talk and put up a podcast and just have a nice life and do stuff we like doing. Like it, yeah. there's just so much that we. Like until you think about it, and then I'm sure there's even more. So yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Jason, for being on this episode. Um, if you guys missed it or don't have us on Patreon, um, we did have another mini episode that kind of went into some more depth on um, Fire Department Coffee as a sponsor. And so, in case you guys missed it, that's why we're having this conversation. Jason is part of leadership for Fire Department Coffee, which is our basically main and favorite sponsor. Um, so, if you want to give us a little tiny sales pitch on that before we say goodbye, and we'll wrap up the episode. So yeah, Fire Department Coffee, it's great coffee for hardworking people. Uh, A portion of our proceeds go to helping sick and injured first responders. And if you want to use the wonderful code CRIMEPOD15, you get yourself 15% off some wonderful Fire Department Coffee. Yeah, sounds great. And um, if you if you want to head over to their website, just check out the various flavors they have. They have so many cool flavors. They have Coffee of the Month Club, things like that. Um, head over there. Use the coupon code if you'd like. Uh, thanks again, Jason. And if you want to see any of our wonderful commercials or videos that we put out, Fire Department Coffee or Fire Department Chronicles is you know more stuff that Jason does himself. And uh, thanks for listening to this episode. And we'll see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.